Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. go ahead and quickly recap weeks one and two. It's really impossible for me to do that because of the amount of content that weeks one and two pertain, but I'm going to do my best. Um, The first week we tackled the topic of abortion and the issue that it is in our nation today and the world and uh, how the church has viewed it and and how some have remained silent on the topic, which is um, pretty sad to see. We talked about it. Um, we talked about it in depth. If you want to go back and listen to it, uh, plenty of contact, content there. And honestly, I had to cut a lot out. There was just not enough time to, to go as far as I wanted to go with it. Uh, maybe another time. Uh, but the gist of it is that we understood what abortion was, what abortion is today. It, is ne- it has not changed. It's always been the same. It's just a matter of how it is practiced and how it is processed. And what we ultimately learn from the scripture is that it's molech worship or child sacrifice. It is simply that it's there's no other way to see it other than how the Bible tells us to see it. Uh, in week two, last week, we went in on the subject of uh, what is going on in our nation concerning uh, homosexuality, identity, identity dysphoria, gender identity dysphoria, um, the different flags. We talked about how there's 15 different flags that are associated with the LGBTQ community. And we talked about our radical love towards them and how much we desire for those people to be in the house of God. Amen. Uh, We said it this way once. If somebody identifies that way, they're welcome here. If somebody has ever had an abortion, they're welcome here. If somebody's ever been to jail, they're welcome here. If somebody struggles with alcoholism, they're welcome here. Drug addiction, they're welcome here. But understand this, that even though that might be how they identify, that's not the guest of honor. The guest of honor is Jesus. And we gather around him, not who we call ourselves. Because our identity doesn't come from our experiences. Our identity comes from the king. Amen. And when we learn that, we can learn to lay down the things that hold us back. And so in week two, we talked about it. And again, there's so much that you really probably just need to go watch it. Um, and we talked about what we're going to be learning in this series. Last week, we started highlighting the understanding of a kingdom mentality, how to have a kingdom mentality. What does it mean to have a kingdom mentality? To have a kingdom mentality means that your worldview, how you see the world, how you see your life, how you see your role, how you see your family, how you see your kids, the role that you play in this world is your worldview, and it should come only from the Scripture. It can't come from your identity as an American. It can't come from your identity as an African-American, as a Hispanic, as a white person. Your role in the kingdom comes from the scripture. Our worldview should be based on 
the scripture. We talked about the statistics, the different generations, and I think I messed that up, the numbers a little bit, but I think you got the point. Um, Unfortunately, even though 64% of our nation say they are Christian, only about 10% go to church, and of that 10%, only 6% of that number have a biblical worldview that actually understand the Bible and everything about life is viewed through that, not their own understanding, not their own ability, not their own thinking and what their cultural norm is. Remember what the Bible says. It says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge the Lord, right? Lean not on your own understanding. Don't trust your own understanding. It also says, don't trust your heart. A lot of times we can get Stirred up in the emotional side. Well, this person, I love them so much. I do too. That's why we need to tell them the truth. Because the last thing I want is for somebody that I knew, that I love, that I cared for, end up in hell and be mad at me forever because I didn't tell them the truth. That's the last thing I want. We talked about how the fact that pastors, unfortunately... Uh, 37% of all pastors have a biblical worldview. The other 63 have this idea of syncretism where they've blended the Bible along with cultural norms and cultural appropriations. And so what you see is you see some pastors speaking clearly about the Bible and some not so clearly. And you're trying to figure out why is that? Why do they do that? It's because unfortunately, and some of them unknowingly, kind of grew up in this mindset and they have this blended understanding of scripture where it doesn't quite all pertain to us anymore. That's the idea that they think it doesn't quite all pertain. It doesn't quite fit in today's culture. No, no, no. The Bible always has and always will be the word of God. And the Bible says at the very end, do not add or take away from this book lest a curse come upon you. I don't know about you, but I don't want that. The Bible says to preach the whole counsel of God. The whole thing. We can't omit stuff because we don't like it. We have to preach the whole thing. And so in order to have a kingdom mentality, you have to have a biblical mentality. You have to know the word. We were discussing before church with uh, Jennifer and Rick, there was an article from a Christian news website that said too much Bible study is bad for you. I was trying to figure out what they were trying to say, but they said what they said. That people who spend too much time studying the Bible aren't really living life properly. I'm like, oh, Is that where we're at? That our own news organization that's supposed to represent. I hope thing you study the Bible too much. I hope you see. I really pray and I hope you see what's going on. There is this shift there. And we talked about it, the sifting where people are being sifted. The church is being sifted to see who is real and who is not. And unfortunately, we're seeing it. Before our eyes. I never thought we'd get here so fast, but we're seeing it before our eyes. We need to have a kingdom mentality. Today we're going to talk about 
how to become ambassadors for Christ. Next week, we'll talk about how to serve the world. And the last week, we'll talk about how to love the world. Can I get an amen? At the end of service today, or at the end of my message, not the end of service, we're actually going to have a Q&A. So I want you to be prepared for that. My message is not long at all. I'm going to get straight to the point, And then we're going to have some time for Q&A where you literally get to ask me anything. And uh, the information will be up on the screen so that you can do that. You will literally get to ask me anything, whether it pertains to the messages. I hope it would be pertaining to the messages. Um, but I love doing that because I remember growing up as a kid, I always wanted to ask the pastor questions during church and I never could. Like, what about this? I wanted to yell at him, but, you know, probably get tackled or something. I'm going to say this before I get into the crux of it. really don't like offending people, but this might offend you. If you've had a problem with anything that I've said up to this point in this series, you need to ask yourself this question. Do I believe, support, or advocate for something that a Satanist would agree with? Ouch. Now, understand this. I'm not talking about common ground. We can all get on common ground with a degree there. That's common ground. I'm not saying do you believe certain things about reality. I'm talking about what do you support, what do you advocate for, what do you say should be allowed. Does that belief system line up with, an with a, a Satanist? Because if the answer is yes, then you have a serious problem with your worldview. Because a Satanist will advocate, support, and believe for abortion and for anything pertaining to the LGBTQ community that it should be both legal and celebrated. And unfortunately, we have a lot of Christians that do just that. And now even churches. And when I say that, I'm not saying that because I think that might be the case. No, no, no. That is the case. Unfortunately, we've seen it. It seems like every day another video pops up of another pastor supporting these exact things. And they have large churches. And I don't get it. I just don't get it. I've been saying that for like three weeks. I don't get it. It's because I don't. Because if you read this, there's no way you should support that. And so you have to ask yourself that question. And I pose that to you because it's a tough question. Because I had to ask myself that question many years ago. Do I believe, support, or advocate for something that a Satanist would agree with? I want a quick volunteer. Can a man jump up here? I need a man volunteer real fast. Rick, you coming? All right. I'm going to ask you a question. And it's a trick question. It's just, just, just so you know. But I need you to answer honestly. Would you agree with this statement? He who owns the youth gains the future. I would agree. Do you know who said that? I do not. Adolf Hitler. We can be on common ground with a Satanist. We can be on common ground with someone like Adolf Hitler. But to advocate for what he advocated for, to promote what he promoted... And believe what he believed. Different story. He didn't say anything that wasn't true. He who owns the youth gains the future. Absolutely true. 
But how you approach it is everything. It's everything. I want to read you something from John Bevere. I love this man of God. He has been solid. He always, always, always reverts everything back to Scripture, which is what I love about him. He's a very well-known preacher. He said this. He said, Jesus warns the church in Thyatira, in, in the book of Revelation, against tolerance, which we know today is like the big thing. We've got to be tolerant. Jesus warns the church against tolerance, which was leading them into immorality and idolatry. Our culture often confuses love and tolerance. That's a true statement. Our culture confuses it. The two couldn't be more different. Love seeks the other person's good. Tolerance seeks to be thought of as good in the other person's eyes. Are you seeing the difference there? He said it so perfect. I just had to say this is... This is perfect. This is what he said. Love seeks the other person's good. I want what's good for you. That's what a father does. I want what's good for you. A father who tries to just be seen as good in their child's eyes will never have their respect. But when you want what's good for your children, you will do the best for them, even if they don't like it. Love comes from fearing God. Tolerance comes from fearing man. Nowhere in Scripture is tolerance held up as a virtue. Just a reminder to anchor your values in God's word, not in the world's broken system. Thank you, John Bevere, for speaking bold and speaking clear. That's real. He laid it out in... And in three sentences, much better than I did in two weeks. That is clear. So I want to remind you of our definition of what it means to have the kingdom as our focus. Remember, to seek first the kingdom means this, to allow the dominion of God to reign over every part of our life. Leave that up there. To allow the dominion of God to reign over every part of our life. If he is our king, then he is to reign over all our life, not just the parts that we like him to be in charge of. But every aspect of your life, the way you think, the way you act, the way you treat people, what you look at, what you listen to. How you raise your kids, how you handle your finances, what you do at work, how you act at work. Every part of your life, he is your king. We are heirs to the kingdom. And if we are heirs to the kingdom, then we should walk as such. Do you know the context of the scripture When Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We often allude that to whom Jesus sets free is free indeed. Which he was referring to himself. But he was using a cultural norm to identify. You know what he was talking about? He was talking about slavery. Because when a slave owner has slaves, their children also have those slaves. And if the son sets a slave free, it's as if the father did it. So whom the son sets free 
is free indeed. And he was paralleling that with sin. He said, I am the son of God. I am the heir. I am the king of kings. Whom the son sets free is free indeed of sin, of shame, and guilt. You see, it's this idea of ownership. It's this idea that we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to a heavenly kingdom that is not of this world. And if we then are sons of the king, then whom the son sets free is free indeed. That's why we can pray together and believe for freedom. Amen. That's why when we ask, he will do what we ask because we are his children. Let's talk about the world for a second. I got a couple of scriptures here. James 4, 1. This is such an interesting scripture. I love the book of James. It's so straightforward. It says this, for what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you wrongly, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know? That friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Whoa. It's a bunch of heavy, strong language there. But this is true. What does he mean when he says don't be a friend of the world? Does it mean don't be nice to them? Does it mean don't talk to them? No, no, no. When he's saying don't be a friend, the, the, the true meaning of that verse is you're trying to live like they live. You're trying to be like them. You're trying to have what they have. You're trying to accomplish what they accomplish. You're trying to look like them, act like them, sound like them. You sound more like them than you do your creator. When you try to be a friend of the world, you're too worried about what they might think of you that you don't actually worry about what God see, how God sees you. Therefore, you become an enemy to God. Because you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and the world. You just can't. You have to choose. The Bible says choose this day who you will serve. You can't and trust ambitions of this world and the kingdom. And trust me, the kingdom can take you farther. Much, much farther. We cannot be so concerned with whether or not the world likes us. Jesus said it very clear. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Don't worry about being liked. 
Love people, but love them back to life. Don't tolerate just because we're told we're supposed to tolerate. We have to speak the truth. How do you speak the truth in today's generation? First, you got to live it. Because there's nothing more disgusting than watching a very angry, mad Christian yell at people for their sin and they walk around with hatred in their heart all day. The first step is you have to actually live it. You have to approach people because you actually love them. Not because, oh, I'm a Christian, I just get to tell you what's on my mind. No, no, no. I tell you everything I'm telling you out of love. Because I want you to see with clear eyes and full hearts what the scripture says. Some might take it, oh, you're just shoving it down there. No, no, no. I am trying to tell you the truth. And unfortunately, the world's truth right now is so loud. It's so loud. You can't turn on a TV. You can't go to a gas station. You can't go on vacation without experiencing it. It is so loud. Don't worry about if you're going to offend people. Come from a place of genuine love. Genuine love. If you don't have love in your heart for someone, don't bother talking to them. They'll, they'll see it right off the bat. You're not being authentic. But if you come from a place of genuine love for people and you tell them the truth, the truth will set them free. That's what the word teaches. Here's what happens, though. It's taught a lot in church. We're just here to huddle up our team and make sure we're all safe and protected and don't let anyone in and, and we're good and we're just going to hold on until Jesus comes back. No. That's not a Christian life at all. That's passivism. You have to be willing to talk to people that the Bible says that most people think are untouchable, unreachable, unlovable. And if you have the heart to reach out to them with genuine love and care, speak the truth in love. Instead, sometimes we buy the lie that our life is what we make of it. And we're in control. And we can just be whatever we want to be because it's the American dream. No, no, no. We belong to a kingdom. And we should represent the king. So how are we supposed to do this? What are we supposed to do? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody say, the ministry 
of reconciliation. That's what he gave us. Every single one of you watching and here in this room, you have a ministry. And the ministry is called the ministry of reconciliation. God was That's what we have. That's what he gave us. And that is this, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Who did he trust the message with? He trusted us with the message. And the message isn't, I hate you. The message is, Let's reconcile. Let's reconcile this issue. Let's reconcile it with something that doesn't come from me and you. It comes from the blood of Jesus. That's the message. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the message that needs to be preached. People, all people need to be reconciled to God. Well, the problem with that is if we tolerate everything they're doing, then they have nothing to reconcile in their eyes. The problem over here is if we say it's okay to do to be this way, stay this way, it's okay. You don't have to change, just come to Jesus. No, no. It's called reconciliation. There's something wrong that needs to be fixed. That's called reconciliation. There's something not adding up here, and we have to reconcile it. We have to make sure it comes back in order. How can someone understand this concept that they have to trade in their sin for righteousness when you're saying that their sin is okay? How? We can't do it. We can't walk around and preach, oh, you're good, you're good, just pray the prayer and not expect change because if there's true reconciliation, you become a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, he makes all things new. How does that happen if the old stuff is the stuff we're living for? How does that happen if the old stuff is the stuff we identify it? This is who I am. This is how I've always been. This is, you know, my entire childhood. This is my identity, my body, my choice, all this stuff. No. You have to reconcile. You have to fix it. We don't get to choose what we allow God to reconcile. If he says, You come to me, then all of you has to come to him. Not parts of you. Not parts of your thinking. Not parts of your worldview. Not parts of your belief system. All of it. When I surrendered to God, I surrendered everything. That's why the hymn says, I surrender all. Except this, this, and this, and this. No, no. We surrendered all. 
And because we surrendered all, he trusted us with the message. And if I'm going to be trusted with the message, then I have to repeat what this says. I implore you on behalf of Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the message. It's simple. And that is the most loving thing you can do for someone. Hey, I see you going this way, man. That's not going to help you. It's not healthy. It's only going to hurt you. There's sin in your life, and you need to reconcile with God today. How can that be hurtful? When the goal of that is to bring unity back between God and man. So what does it mean to be ambassadors for Christ? This is beautiful. I don't know if you know what an ambassador is, but an ambassador, like we have ambassadors all over the world that represent the United States. Anywhere they are is sovereign land. Did you know that? Everywhere they step is considered sovereign land. If they step foot in China, wherever they step is American sovereign land. You cannot touch them. They represent the entirety of the nation. They don't just represent the president or the cabinet or just parts of the government. They represent us all. So an ambassador for the United States cannot be charged of a crime. Did you know this? And there's a lot of scandals about this. But this is how it works. They cannot be charged with a crime. They are exempt. They have immunity from everything. Everywhere they go. Because... They represent the sovereign nation of America. Now, that all sounds great in, in, you know, for, for that guy, right? But let's bring this in terms of the kingdom. If you are an ambassador for the kingdom, everywhere you go, you represent the king. Everywhere you go, you go to the grocery store, you go to the gas station, you go to work, you go to your family and friend's house. You don't get to just go, I'm taking off my... It's the calling, it is the ministry, it becomes all of you. Everywhere you step, you represent the kingdom of heaven. So if you want to be in the kingdom of heaven, you are then called to be an ambassador. And an ambassador's job is singular, to send the message... Of the king. It's all ambassadors do all over the world. They promote the agenda of the United States, the agenda of the government of the United States at this particular time, what they're trying to accomplish. And that's what we do as ambassadors for Christ. We are his representatives. We are his mouthpiece. We are the preachers, not just me with the microphone, but you at work, every single day, with your friends, with your family. You are ambassadors for Christ. You are meant to spread the message that he entrusted you with. You are, have, are called to have the ministry of reconciliation in your mouth. That should light you up. 
but we're told the opposite all the time. Oh, just be quiet. Don't ruffle the feathers. Don't rock the boat. You'll lose your job. And so Christians remain silent and quiet and passive. And it's this cultural idea that every other religion and identity and issue on the earth can be shouted from the rooftops in America and it be okay and loving except Christianity. That's what we're in right now. We're the ones told, be quiet. You have hate speech in your mouth. Everything you say is hate speech. You, don't, you call this sin hate speech. Because every other religion will accept it. Then we must be the hateful ones. Understand your role is not to be a passive, silent, quiet Christian. And your role is not to be the ugly, yelling, in your face, nasty Christian. Your role is to minister to people's hearts the message of reconciliation. And you do that by earning their trust, by living your life in a way that it exemplifies Christ. How can you minister to someone if they look at your life and they can see it's all messed up? Some people wonder, Matt, how come you don't let, you know, on stage or do that? Have you seen their life? It's apparent. I'm not trying to be mean. I have a responsibility to make sure that people that minister from this platform have the right heart and intention and motives. And if their heart, intention, and motives everywhere else is wrong, why would I ever put them up here? You see, we've gotten this idea that we're just supposed to, because we love everyone, we just let everybody do anything they want. No, 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 no. We have a standard to meet. And it is set by the scriptures, not by our feelings. Last scripture, and then we'll do the Q&A. 1 Thessalonians 2.4. But as we, just as we have been approved by God, say, I'm approved by God. Y'all can do that better. Say, I'm approved by God. To be entrusted with the gospel. There it is again. We are entrusted with the message. We are entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. I do not speak to please you. That is not my job. I am not here to preach a message that you like. That hurts, doesn't it? I am not here to preach a message that I like. I am here to preach the gospel. And the gospel wasn't built to affirm us, make us feel better, make us feel good. It is here to rescue us. So if God is going to entrust someone with his message, with his gospel, he will then also test that person. Throw that scripture back up there. He will then also test that person. I have been tested many, many, many times. 
I shared last week, next year, I will be, have been preaching 20 years. Do you not think God has tested me and my message throughout that time? Absolutely. Have I wavered maybe at some points? I have, yes. Because I had a desire and a need to help people feel better about themselves or whatever the case may be. And then God comes in and is like, that's not the point. My hope is that you hear this and you are inspired to live the way God says we should live. But if you are finding offense with the message, it's really clear then where reconciliation needs to begin. Because the message I preach only comes from here. All I have done is read you the scriptures. If you find issue with it, then you need to be reconciled to the king. If you can't say amen, say ouch. All right, Q&A. Throw that image up there. If you want to ask a question... We do it so that you can do it anonymously. It's very easy. If you are following along in the notes, then you'll see the link is there for you already. Um, if, you, if you weren't following along with the notes, then you can either take a picture of that and it'll take you to the website or text Pursuit to 94000. And uh, it'll open up a form and it doesn't ask for your name, your phone number, nothing. It's literally just a form to ask a question. You hit send. I don't even know who it comes from. Great question, man. Oh, yeah, I think I've asked, I've, somebody's asked me this before. It's very, very interesting because it hasn't at least apparently happened yet. So this question that first came in, it says, how would our church address someone that begins attending our church but identifies as a different gender or cross dresses? Very interesting. So it's very clear. Uh, obviously, you've heard what I've said up to this point. You know where we stand. In that process, I would show radical love to that person. Because a lot of times, two things happen when someone like that shows up to church. Either they're desperately looking for clarity and understanding and help, or they're here to try to stir a reaction. It's only two reasons, right? Either way, radical love will reveal the truth in that person's heart. Because radical love, bringing them in, bringing them closer, earning their trust so that you can speak into their life and tell them the truth and help them understand where they stand according to the scripture is the way to reveal the, the motive of the heart. Because the motive of the heart could be they're here just to stir a reaction. Well, then the conversation won't go so well. It just won't. They're not here for the right reason. But if they're here for the right reason, they're here to genuinely find God, find peace. They're struggling with something. They want, they have questions. They need answers. Well, you can help someone like that, but you can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. Here's the problem. There is bills all over our nation right now 
and I shared with it last week that it, it already occurred in Canada, where it will become a crime if passed to misgender someone, to misidentify them. Uh, on Twitter, it's already illegal to them. <laughs> like on Twitter, you can't do that, you get banned. It's happened to Ben Shapiro, to Jordan Peterson. They accidentally called someone Ellen who wants to be called Elliot, and they got banned off Twitter for it. It's already going on. So they want to pass these laws to actually make it a crime to do so. Also embedded in those bills, and I've actually sat there and read this, guys. Like, I've read the bills, okay? It's like crazy. I've actually read them. They're trying to, to embed in there where they call churches um, conversion therapy centers, okay? where we're being labeled as conversion therapy centers. And a conversion therapy center is where someone who is telling a transgender person or uh, a person who identifies differently sexually that, that they're wrong and therefore they need to change and we need to convert you back to what you originally were. Really, that comes from the basis of Scripture, right? Like you need to be a new creation, be born again, all this stuff. They're identifying that as a crime. And they're trying to get that in the bills. It's just kind of like back there in the back along with the main part. It's crazy what they're trying to do now. Whether or not that stuff gets passed, we shall see. It started in California, but other states started picking it up too. And so here's what I will have to say. I will still show radical love to every person and still tell them the truth. Bottom line. I would do the same for someone who's struggling with alcohol, same who's strugg someone struggling with uh, drug addiction, because if they're here for the right reason, then they actually want help. But if they're just, you know, around to stir a, a reaction or try and get sympathy or whatever, then the, the heart will never receive what they really need to receive. Hopefully that made sense. It's a good question. Yeah, good question. We tend to protect our kids from homosexual words, watching movies and shows when the kids aren't around. Okay, great one. Because the, the question is, well, I don't let my kids watch it, but I watch it. Really? You do know that whatever you expose yourself to, you inadvertently will share with your children. Because what we entertain ourselves with become our values too. So if, you know, you're trying to watch shows that glorify those behaviors, eventually, if you're not careful, your walls will be broken down and you'll begin to say, what's wrong with that? See, what you don't, see sometimes is, and we were talking about this before service, the Bible says that the enemy is the prince of the air. Prince of the airwaves. Like everything that goes through the air. It's our, it's our telephones, our radios, our internet. Like all this, this idea that he's the prince of the air. What we hear, what we see. That's what he uses to manipulate. And I have watched shows that I loved and loved and loved. And then the next thing you know, one season, they just kind of flip the script and they 
change directors or change writing, all of a sudden they start embedding all these different kind of relationships and ideologies. I'm like, what happened? The show was fine without that stuff. Now you can just tell they're just intentionally trying to just do it too much because they have to get it in there. And so I would just say, be careful what you support because what you give your time to, your money, your energy, your efforts, that's what you support. Can't say amen. Say ouch. My children are very sensitive. My, my son, Joel, extremely sensitive. We couldn't even watch Snow White because of the witch. He's very sensitive to the, the things of you know, they're supernatural like that. So the witch in that, in that show, it's actually quite dark. If you go back and watch the original Snow White, he had nightmares. Because it's just the sensory part of your spirit. It takes it all in. You don't realize it. And what, what the problem is you become numb at a certain point. When I was in college at A&M Corpus, I went originally to be a psychologist. And I quit after the first year because of what I learned. The psychological field in the secular world, not the Christian world, because there's some great Christian psychologists and therapists out there, excellent people. But in the secular world, they say there is no cure to none of this. We're just here to listen. And in order for you to be able to listen to people all day, we need to make sure that it doesn't shock you what they say. So we're going to spend an entire semester desensitizing you. We're going to show you rapes. We're going to show you murders. We're going to show you porn. We're going to show you all this stuff to break down your value system, to tear down your walls and desensitize you so that nothing shocks you. That was their method of teaching us psychology. I said, this isn't right. How can this help? How? Can this help? And that's why there's all these different schools of thought. There is no one way to help someone in the psychological world because it's all based on several theories of schools of thought that were all built on this idea that as long as you just live on to another day, you're doing fine. And so what you give your time, your energy, your mind, end up becoming your values because that's what they did. They tried to break us down with what they showed us. So be very careful. I would say that, be very, very careful. Oh, got a lot of questions. Oh, this is an interesting one. In your opinion, can one be an ambassador for Christ at a bar? And if so, if someone sees you coming out of said bar, would you be seen as double-minded? <laughs> when I was in Bible college, there was a guy who did just that, but he went to the strip clubs. I'm there to minister. Oh, really? How's that working out for you? You see, when you try to play like that in the devil's playground, you better be careful. Because there's a reason that drunks feel comfortable there. And drug addicts feel comfortable. Kind of hang out and minister to someone? No. 
There's, there's, it's not even double-minded. It's just plain dumb. Like, don't do that. Now, I have heard, and there was one occasion where this man named Keith Green, he would walk into the bar, and in the, in the, in the old days, all the bars had pianos. He'd walk into the bar. He's not there drinking. He'd walk in the bar and start playing worship music on the piano. And people would start crying. And then some people got saved. But he went there for the explicit purpose to minister, not to drink, not to partake, not to join in with them, but to do the opposite, to call them out. He got kicked out of a lot of bars. He's messing up the business. Unless you're gifted and called to do something like that, bad idea. Bad idea. Whoa. Can there be too much Bible study? Question mark. I can't see it maybe being an issue if you spend too much time reading and studying and not going out and focusing on making disciples. So, yeah, I mean, you can, there's a case for it where you don't do anything but read and you don't put it into practice. But if you read it enough, you'll learn that the Bible says don't just be a hearer of the word but a doer. The Bible should inspire you to, to do something with it, right? Otherwise, you're just reading what you like to read, you know. But true Bible study is ammunition, Right? True Bible study is something that fills you up so that you can give it away. I've always said this, and I've never understood why some people do just go and go to every Bible study, but they rounded evangelized to anyone in their life. I'm like, um, you do know that the Bible is surrounded by this idea of making disciples, of ministering, of evangelizing. How can you fill yourself up and not do something with it? Some people just want to fill themselves up so they can know more. Obviously, it's about the motive of the heart. They still learned it, but they got to do something with it. But to tell a generation who already struggles reading the Bible that you don't need to, bad idea. Bad idea. As a generation I grew up in, you know, we had actual physical Bibles that we read every morning at school. Everybody had one in their cubby, in the desk. Everywhere there was Bibles. Everywhere. Now it's on the phone. And so you get on the phone to read and then you get a message, you get a notification, you get distracted so much easier. I challenge you, go back to read the actual Bible. It'll help you. It'll help you. Something wrong with the Bible app and going through all that stuff. We do that too. But this will help you stay focused. But you should learn to study the Bible if you don't know. But there was, there was a group of people for a while that they knew so well how to study the Bible, but they never did anything with it. Just drives me crazy. Do something with it. Do something with your life, bro. Mm. Interesting. This one says, I'm like Joel and sensitive. 
I know the enemy is weaker than God, and the Lord is the Almighty. How do I stop being fearful of the enemy, of pentagrams, and that number that represents the three digits, the three sixes in a row? I'm not even typing it because I rebuke that. I'm tired of being fearful. That's a very interesting question. I would say, read the scripture about what happens to the enemy. Go study about the enemy. You will find through scripture that he is not as powerful as you might think. What we have to understand about the enemy is that his only weapon is through our mind. That is it. His only weapon is through our mind. And unfortunately, our mind dictates everything that happens in our body, physically, our health, our understanding, our ability, the mind. That's why anxiety and depression is such a big deal in our generation, because he's attacking the mind, your confidence, your self-worth, your value, all this stuff. And if you read the scriptures, you will find in the book of Isaiah where it says that one day the whole world will look at him and go, is that it? Could this really be the one that deceived the world? We're going to look at this thing one day, this little pathetic puny thing, and go, really? That, that's it. That's the devil. We're going to be shocked, the Bible says, because he is not strong. But his game up here, that's the game he plays. How do you combat that? You read the Bible. You understand who your enemy is. Then you got to understand who you are. And let me say something because it happens all too often. If you're a Christian and you follow Jesus, stay, stay, stay far away from pentagrams, tarot cards, sage burnings, psychic readings, horoscopes. All that stuff has been very trivialized lately and it's very commercialized and oh I'm a Sagittarius like what no you're a daughter of God you're not anything else you don't need to be and we're into our signs and our horoscope and what oh yeah it's it's because I'm a Capricorn you know that's why we get along like what are you talking about I don't get along with that And, and this world is like wrapped up in this idea that we need to get like this magical reading. And I know some Christians that they're, oh, we're just, you know, just kind of doing this and sage burning. I got my own family members texting me. What do you think about sage? Run. Run. But I need to, you know, pull out the, the evil spirits. You are the evil spirit. Run. You're bringing it in. Like, oh, and it's so clear throughout all scripture that Jesus says, get away from this stuff. Abandon this stuff. This is idolatry. I could teach for weeks on that topic. It's incredible. Astrology. Oh, look, at that's my sign in the sky. The universe speaks to me. No, it doesn't. God created that, not you. So interesting to me. 
that the Tower of Babel. Oh, I love studying about that. It's so interesting because there's so much to find that I still don't know. But the Tower of Babel, I don't know if you remember the man who was responsible for the city. His name was Nimrod. The Bible called him a mighty hunter before the Lord. I'll get to that in a second. The Tower of Babel was a tower that they were building to reach the heavens. And God said, oh, look at them. There's nothing that they can't do. If I don't go mess this up, they will accomplish their goal. And then who knows what they'll do next. So then he went down and changed all their languages. That's how we have all these languages. Changed the dialects. They could no longer communicate with each other. And they spread all over the earth and divided over their languages. Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord. He was not a hunter. What that means, if you do the word study, what that means is that he knew how to manipulate people with his mind. He could gather a crowd and get something done. That's what that means. When the Bible called him a mighty hunter before the Lord, it was that he was hunting in a sense the minds and hearts of men to push them to a certain thing to accomplish a task. Humanity has always wanted to reach the heavens. Now we're trying to get to Mars. Elon Musk actually wants to colonize Mars. It's the new Tower of Babel. Hello? Are we paying attention? You know, these men that have all this money and it seems like they have unlimited capacity to dream up stuff. They're just sitting in a room just dreaming up stuff. And they can do it. They have all these different ways of trying to make it happen. We don't change. We're always searching for something in the heavens. When all along, Jesus says, no, the kingdom is within you. But if all we do is try to look where else we can go, we don't realize that if we have the Lord, we have everything we need. All right, let's do one or two more, and then I'll call it, because then I'll just talk too much. Okay. Ooh, what about horror movies? I heard you talking about pentagrams and horoscopes, but what about horror movies? We have a rule in our house. We don't watch horror movies. Number one, because they're stupid. It's like, really? <laughs> um, this makes no sense. <laughs> like, it just doesn't make sense at all. Have you ever watched Scream? It's like, what is happening? The Bible tells us very clearly that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Why then would we open up the door to a movie that its sole intention is to make you afraid and to give you a spirit of fear? 
Why would you expose your children to this? Oh, we're, we know it's, it's Halloween, man. We got to do it. No, we don't. That's why you'll never see us trick-or-treating. Because I will not support, advocate, or believe something that a Satanist would agree with. to the beginning and I know that doesn't sit right with a lot of people because horror movies are like our family pastime yeah be careful with that wonder why your kids wake up with nightmares in the middle of the night wonder why you have people in your family that have anxiety and can't control their breathing and don't know what to do and have no sense of who they are because You've given yourself over to a spirit of fear, which the Lord says, I did not give you. I combat this every single day with my own children. The other day, Joel said, oh, it's because I'm afraid of heights. Who said that? Who said you're afraid of heights? He heard it in a show that someone was afraid of heights. So he starts, oh, yeah, it's because I have a fear of heights. Who gave you that? I didn't give you that because I don't have no fear of heights. I'll jump off a house right now. Take me skydiving, please. My wife won't let me, but take me, please. They're not here today. Take me, somebody, please. You got me, Rick? Let's go. Let's go, star. I am, I am down today. Okay, let's, let's do it. Let's sign me up. My son was like, oh, it's because I have a fear of heights. When did you ever develop a fear of heights? Last time I checked, you just dumped off the diving board at 12 feet deep. When did all of a sudden you get a fear of heights? Oh, I heard, you know, the guy at Do Perfect said he had a fear of heights. What? So now you have it. Do you see how easily we adopt something because we see it here and now it becomes normal? Oh, that must be what I have. No, no, no. They're trying to give it to you. It doesn't belong to you. <laughs> yeah. Somebody asked me, can a Christian have a demon? A Christian can have anything it wants. New message. A Christian can have anything they want. Including a demon called fear. Last question. Are aliens just heaven? I love this. Are, I love that this is the last one. Are aliens just heavenly beings, a.k.a. angels or demons, or are they just like any other creature God created, like whales? Are aliens whales? <laughs> I kid you not that, you, you know, so whoever this is, awesome, awesome question. But I kid you not. You know, I watch, like, these YouTube shorts, right? And there's this guy named Joe Rogan. He actually believes that octopuses are aliens. I mean, they're pretty interesting animals. They're pretty wild, man. Like, they, they, they showed videos where octopus, octopuses are, like, dreaming. And as they're dreaming, I don't know if you know what they do, but they, they change colors, they change textures, they blend in, they camouflage. They're... They do so many interesting things. It's just amazing how they're created, right? And so they're like, dude, these things must be aliens. 
Like, have you ever heard of the theory that the octopus actually came from space and like just landed in our waters and they're actually aliens and one day they're going to colonize us? Like, what are you talking about? So when you said, are aliens whales, like that's hilarious to me. I have some friends. Shout out to my dad. I think my dad even thinks aliens are real. Um, I have some friends that absolutely believe aliens are real. I will tell you there is nothing in scripture that support aliens as we see like in the movies. Okay. There's nothing in scripture that will support it. But I will tell you this, man. What I, this is personal. I can't even say it's scripture. It's just personal. What I feel that people are experiencing are spiritual things. I personally believe that. I don't know if you've read enough of the Bible to know, but angels are terrifying. Whew. There are some angels in the Bible that if it stood in front of you right now, you'd swear it's an alien. There are some things in Scripture, in the book of Revelation, that the Bible says one day will be released from the bottomless pit, that have the face of a lion, the body, no, the face of a man, the body of a horse, the tail of a scorpion, the jaws of a lion, like some crazy stuff, man. Mutants, like there's stuff in the Scripture you should go read. It's fascinating. It really is. I love it. Aliens, no. I'm a big believer that what people are experiencing and what they're seeing are spiritual things, demonic things. Because the Bible is very clear that angels and demons can pose as things, can pose as people. It's very clear through Scripture. It happened all the time. There's a story with Abraham where he was walking. And you remember the story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah? Who showed up? To get Abraham and Lot out, it was angels. They looked like men. They looked like men, right? And then Paul even later alludes in Corinthians. He says, be careful how you treat people. You don't know if you're entertaining angels. He's talking about like having a conversation with a person. He says, be careful. You might be entertaining an angel. You don't know it like that. It might be someone who is posing as an angel. So understand that the, the scripture also says that the enemy comes as an angel of light. He will twist and make himself look good and can pose as anything that we can think of. There's a lot of people that think different. Have fun with that. <laughs> I tend to just focus on what's in the scripture. And what's in the scripture is already terrifying enough. I can't imagine that aliens are going to come close. I really can't. That was the last one. Worship team, come up. I have one more scripture for you. Because we have to end on this note. Great questions today. That was fun. We have to end on this note. The love of God. The love of God is extravagant. The love of God is beautiful. In Romans 8.38, it says this. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. When you possess the love of God, you have everything that you need. When you possess the love of God, you possess something that is so extravagant, so overwhelming, so beautiful, so magnificent that you can't help but share it. There was a question I saw but didn't get to. How can we get better at sharing our faith? You first have to possess the love of God. Because you can't give what you don't have. You have to possess the very love of God so that you can give the love of God. Play whenever you're ready, brother. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.